another thing that really is underexplored in the state is, is finding other uh, sources of fermentable sugars to make uh, to make al uh, alcoholic beverages. I mean, the one that's most obvious to me is apple cider. I mean, we're a huge apple growing state here. I mean, why? As far as I know, there's only two producers of hard cider in the entire state, and they're both pretty small. Um, that's a huge market that has not been tapped into. I think you'll see more. I yeah, think I, I think so. Um, and, and, and if you look at the history of cider, I mean, for most of American history, cider was the drink of the people because it's much easier to grow apples and much less labor-intensive than it is to grow grain. And it's also much easier to turn that into alcohol. Um, so, I mean, it was kind of one of the, the victims of prohibition because at the end at the end of prohibition, there was two big industries invested in alcohol. There there was the beer and the wine, and the cider was just everyday person's drink, and so it kind of was forgotten about because all the cider trees have been turned into eating varieties of apples. Um, another one, of course, is mead, uh, which is honey wine. Uh, That's taken off a bit. It is a little bit, yeah. Um, um, but I, I think just generally. Um, one of the things to uh, to think about is that you know beer is as much as I love it. I'm a home brewer. Beer is an extremely resource intensive uh, thing to produce. I mean, just the, just growing cereal grains in itself is very resource intensive, and not to mention malting those grains and then brewing with them. Where there's some other things that are maybe a little like cider, which is a little less resource intensive um, and perhaps a little more sustainable. Um, so uh, hopefully those are things we start exploring here in the future, is, is other, other types of alcoholic beverages. Uh, it's interesting you say that though, um, so I was just home and my dad is, uh, we have a bunch of apple trees and they're great for cooking and baking and all, and, um, but you know, we, we don't go through all the, the delicate process of making sure, you know, pesticides and all that, just through bugs, so a lot of them are, you know, bruised and bugs and this and that, so we, uh, he's built his own homemade press. And it's the simplest thing ever. He has two garbage disposals that he found, and that's what he grinds it all up in, and then just mashes it out. And but we're getting like, you know, so like if I wanted apple juice, I'd go out, just mash them up, and make fresh cider like right there. And from that, now he's, you know, now looking at how he can just make his own little cider factory in the garage somewhere. So I mean, it's it's really, you know, but compared, like you said, compared to brewing. I mean, all he has to do is just take the juice and throw it in the fermenter, and he's pretty much done compared to brewing, where there's a lot more processes. One quick counterexample to someone who the old-fashioned is embraced that's used a lot more uh, different fermentable sugars is the guys at Yahara Bay. Uh, here in Madison Distillery, make an apple brandy, and they use different kind, all sorts of. They, they made vodka with rutabagas, and just whatever they can find, they'll they'll turn it into, into liquor, which is pretty interesting. But yeah, we've got we've all got this local acre here. Cheers! Right out. Thank you, everybody. Appreciate you all coming together for this. So, what does everybody think? <laughs> My first uh, impression was I was really. Very impressed by just the head that it pours. I mean, you pour that straight down the middle of the glass. It's just this nice, big, thick, creamy, like almost kind of rocky head to it. But that was pretty. Grabs the glass. And yeah. That was my first one. And it's just, it's thick. I mean, as, as a lager, I'm I'm expecting you know a light lager. It's just got a huge. Yeah, this is mouth. definitely not a light lager. Oh yeah, you can just feel it's light the in color. I think my first impression, maybe it's transitioning from the cider discussion, is it's it's both boozy and acidic. Um, like right right up front, it's really thick though, but I think like it has the same like acidic qualities as, as like a hard cider would have. 
I think it, you know it's interesting they chose to do a lager instead of an ale. Um, I mean, a lot of lager characteristics. The hops are pretty muted, and that six row definitely comes through. It's very gr- kind of a grainy, weedy. Yeah. 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 Absolutely. Coating your palate. Yeah. Creamy. I don't know. I get that right away. Like being so high in alcohol, it's it's just so beefed up and so thick that you you almost don't even know. It's seven percent. Oh, is wow. it? So yeah, and yeah, I didn't just because that. it's so thick and creamy, it's, you wouldn't even know it. And I think that's for a lager. That's I think it's very very hard to hit on the head to do a boozy, light, lighter colored lager and really have enough body and everything else to back it up without tasting like you're. <laughs> um, yeah, I think that I think the lager decision was an interesting one. Um, you know, I think I think some of it is playing on the, the stereotype of Wisconsin beer as being lagers. Um, the Miller Schlitz Hams tradition. Yeah, I, I don't know that within the within the microbrewery culture that, that lagers are necessarily the tradition. Uh, although there are probably more high-quality micro-brewed lagers here than anywhere else in the country. Capital, Specker, <laughs> etc. Um, yeah. you know, right, American micro-brewers don't tend to make a lot of lagers. Um, personally, and going back, uh, I, personally, I think that's going to start changing. Um, I think one of the trends we'll see this year is micro-brewed lagers. Um, I think we'll start seeing people playing more with the Doppelbach style. In, in, in some of that stuff, um, but yeah, the uh, the, the six row is very definitely predominant in this. Yeah, almost have like a rye taste to it, but but not quite. So, would you agree that this is uh, something that tastes like Wisconsin? It's the best beer I've ever had in my life. <laughs> <laughs> It's definitely something I've never had before. I don't. I don't think I've tasted drank anything like something this. you would want to have again. Yeah. <laughs> it's, it's it um like right away it, it seemed pretty straightforward, but the more I drink it, the more I, there's a little bit more in there that I'm starting to enjoy. So. So you're a beer geek. If I was to drink this, I would not think like definitively Wisconsin at all. Right. Like I would think this is like a good beer, like enjoyable, but like. Like, what's more important, like, this is a marketing, this is marketing more than it is, like... Oh, yeah. Yeah, yeah it has a and unique texture, and it has, you know, some unique qualities, like, it's a, it's a big lager, um, and they were successful at doing that, but anyone anywhere could be successful at doing that, I think, so it's hard to say, like, because it's from Wisconsin, these things are that much better. Yeah, I think... Or, or you, that's making it better. Anybody could, could buy up Six Row and buy up Cascade Hops, and it would probably be pretty similar... And yeah, I don't know. And that's something we, you've all kind of mentioned already. You know, um, the U.S. really doesn't have much local, you know, significance based on their ingredients, except the only one that I can really think of is West Coast. Anytime someone says West Coast, you immediately think big on Cascade, just big on hops, and that's really the only area that really that stands out right away to me um, in that. In that what would be interesting to me is to use a more traditional recipe, like just go like straight, like get the the Pabst recipe, <laughs> like the hands, you know, and just like use Wisconsin produced product on a small, at a very small level, 
and just see like okay like like how can we reformulate like some of the most traditional beers in the country using Wisconsin product and see what that tastes like you know, you know that would yeah. Or even just the same ingredients, because like I can't think of a an imperial lager that's using six row from anywhere else. So if there if there was a if there's a similar beer from a different state to compare how how Wisconsin ingredients um, are, are building a beer compared to like California ingredients are building a beer. Yeah, that's why I think it'd be just, it'd be really interesting to try something like uh, that hop harvest you're talking about from Central Waters with. The only brewery that I'm aware of is doing something like this for from a single location is Sierra Nevada has an estate ale, which I have in boxes like $18 for a bomber. Um, but uh, they have, it's, it's, not only is it just grown in California, it's grown on their own land because they're big enough that they can do that. They can grow their own hops and malt their own barley, which is absurd. But, um, and then use it to power their vehicles. Yeah, and then use the yeast to power their vehicles. Um, which is awesome. They have their own rail line that goes straight to their uh, brewery to deliver their malt, which is absurd. They're huge. Um, but it'd be really cool to taste like a pale ale from Wisconsin versus a pale ale from California to see the differences because I don't think they're going to be that drastic. Um, oh, however, yeah. to, to go with what Johnny said, you know, can, are the hops fresher if you get them right away? And that's one thing I would love to have. It's a fresh hopped Wisconsin beer, and I haven't had one yet. The Central Waters. Sort of maybe with the Central Waters is like. That one's like I haven't had that one, but that'd be really cool to see. You know, like the difference in what a fresh hopped and compare that to that. That's where there really is. I could see instant value of having something locally grown. You get that instant connection. Yeah. If you start to control the process anymore, you know, like if they start to malt, like you know, if they start being able to malt their own barley here, then they can control that process more. You can see a better product there, and then also, if they're drying and processing the hops themselves, you know, then you might also see a better product come out of it, you know. Um, I don't know, the closer, I don't know, in my opinion, the closer you keep to the process the whole time, the end product will always be better. Except some few exceptions, but... <laughs> so the closer you watch the process? Keep to the process. Yeah, I, what I find interesting about this, I think, is, you know, I, I, I drink this and I think, well, okay, what does it mean that, that this is an all-Wisconsin beer, and, and really, what, is, you know, what does that mean for the industry? And I think about this, and I think about the Central Waters Hop Harvest, um, which, is a, which is a very different beer, um, and I wish we could put it in, into this taste because what I think you would see is two very, very different beers that both have, that both share a similar, they both share a similar uh, flavor, that being the, the six row. And like the West Coast has become kind of synonymous with hops, or hops have become synonymous with the West Coast, um, given the, the bad press, the six row malts have gotten in the past, that the state of Wisconsin can do them in a competent and quite tasty manner, does that then make Six Row synonymous with Wisconsin, and thereby thereby give a little bit more of an edge that when you say, you know, this is a Wisconsin beer, that you know it's going to have that Six Row dry husky taste to it, and that you, you thereby kind of co-opted that flavor like what you know of with a West Coast beer. 
Well, here's why I think that's never going to happen. Because um, you've got Brees in Chilton, Wisconsin. You've got Cargill in Minnesota. You've got RAR in Minnesota, who are all big malting companies who buy malt from all over. And you can get two-row from them and six-row from them and different varieties of them um, at you know comparable prices, if not less, than you can get Wisconsin six-row barley. And, and brewers are very much in the tradition of, of buying ingredients from those companies and it's, it's very much entrenched into what craft brewing is. Um, those companies, you know, like brewers out in California, they're getting malt from those same companies or Great Western in Canada. I mean, those are the big ones. And uh, that's the barley. And the way they put their individuality to it is using all the different ways, the different types of malt they can make from that same barley in their own unique twist to it. Um, the West Coast has gotten really known for hops. I think that's more about the personality of the brewers than it is about the location of the breweries. You can get a brewery like uh, Surly in Minnesota or maybe like Ale Asylum in Madison that has a very West Coast style to them and would be very much at home in California and they're here and they're making those same styles of beers. Um, and I think that's going to sort of stand in the way maybe uh, of, of that process. but. At the same time, if people embrace this all-Wisconsin thing, maybe the all-Wisconsin label will have that six-row terroir thing to it. But I don't necessarily think that all craft beers from Wisconsin are ever going to have a, a similar flavor. I guess it's, it's too much of a hill to climb to, to change what's going I on. I would right want now. to limit myself. I mean, even as, a, oh, yeah. even as like a home brewer, if I have to make one style of beer, I'm out. Or even just one style of malt. One style, yeah. Like, you know, I don't think I, anybody's suggesting that it would be right, you know, the only style. I mean, Lakefront's not the but, only produce 100% Wisconsin world beer. Right. I, right. I, I definitely agree, though, with the beer. If, you know, if we are going to create our own style, it's going to be, I, I think, most likely ways to limit ourselves to our own ingredients. And then, you know, from there, we're going to find new ways to brew. We're going to come up with new recipes that no one's ever heard of. If we're, utilizing if we're constantly using these own ingredients, and that is where we'll, you know, you'll define and make your mark as, you know, this is a Wisconsin, or this is a Midwest style of beer, um, and I, that's why that'd be very, very interesting to see. That. Wisconsin has defined any type of beer as its own, you know. Like I mean, are there any? Like, do you think of breweries in Wisconsin that have really defined their own flavor as being Midwestern? I think, unfortunately, the only real Midwestern style is the macro lager of, I mean, yeah, the, the Miller Ham Schlitz Pabst stuff. I mean, that's sort of the, the classic Wisconsin beer. I mean, I don't know about microbreweries or craft breweries. I would say, you know, um, I think New Glarus has done a pretty good job of, of doing some, you know, some of Belgian style. Um, Spotted Cow is, is, is known throughout the U.S., you know, whether or not that's, you can attribute that just to Wisconsin. And, um, well, I think even they're an interesting situation because in Wisconsin, New Glarus is known for Spotted Cow. Right. But outside of Wisconsin, in the beer community, New Glarus is really known for their Lambics, their sour right. beers, their fruit, fruit beers. beers. So, yeah. Like, they're just a weird... Which is, and our, the fruit beers, that is one thing that I think is, is regional at least. Um, you do see a lot of breweries in the Midwest pride themselves on, on some sort of cherry beer because we do have really good cherry country, Michigan, cranberry, the cranberry apples. and apple. So like, I think in that category we do have something that um, I don't know. I haven't been out west. I don't know how many cranberry beers they have out there or something like that. But, Probably none. Um, um, cranberry brandy. Too. I don't know. 
Should. Sounds they should delicious. try it. They should try it, yeah. <laughs> or Wild Rice is another one that Capital has a Wild Rice beer. And yeah. there's, I think there's one brewery in Minnesota that's done well. That's a kind of Midwestern thing. Very Midwestern. Oh, you guys deal probably with the most Wisconsin beer than, than, of any of us. What it, what do you see as, as common characteristics of, of Wisconsin breweries, if any? They're so all over the map that you can't They're really... really all over the map. I mean, you know, the, the guys who are 60 are all brewing lagers. The guys, you know, who are younger are all going off the map, you know. Chipotle porters and, you know, all sorts of everything they can get their hands on they're thrown into a batch of beer. But I think you're very true about the fruit beers. I think if there's anything indigenous to Wisconsin beer, I think the fruit beer, especially the cherry beer. Um, I think right now there's... I can think of three different breweries that are doing uh, cherry beer, two are year-round. Um, so I think it's, you know, um, I think that's pretty indigenous to Wisconsin if there's any beer right now, other than your staple lagers, yeah. and flats, and flaps, yeah, yeah. you know, all those. Yeah, I like that, uh, it, it's hard to say it, but yeah, your, your kind of vintage American lagers, your Schlitz and your Blatz and your Pabst, and I mean, these are kind of all beers that sort of brought a lot of business and commerce and everything to a handful of different cities in Wisconsin, possibly, you know, bringing in, you know, labor for them and just attracting industry as a whole. And so to kind of maybe say that those beers maybe helped bring Wisconsin where it is today, not necessarily saying that they define what Wisconsin is as beers in general, but that is definitely part of our, you know, part of our history. We have to acknowledge that there. But then also, I and I do like the, yeah, if we do want to go back to a regional ingredients, I do like the, yeah, the, the fruit and everything, but also maybe there's other things out there. Maybe there's other herbs and spices and this and that that trying to keep local, that's how that's how we get regional flavors and styles from traditional beers in general. That's why, you know, like you were saying, why Germany has, you know, each city has its specific style. That's where, you know, if we want to go back to that, we can. That's great. But we're also, we get to play with whatever we want. And if somebody decides to direct that towards, back towards very specific, you know, small area, that's great. That's I'm into I'm into history here. I'm into you know the the dogfish had ancient you know, ancient recipes. It's, a, it's almost the same thing. You know what were original Wisconsin people brewing way back when they were, were first Were you guys around for the Fowerbach challenge? I remember it. I didn't participate, but I remember that. Um, basically, what happened was when Fowerbach relaunched their brand. Um, they provided the Madison Homebrewers and Tasters Guild with a with one of the original recipes of Fowerbach beer, and they held a competition to see who could brew the best version of this beer. Um, and it was really quite interesting how all over the map uh, the beers were because all they had was an ingredients list. They did not have a process list. So they had a bunch of ingredients and they all used the same ingredients but everybody used different processes with those ingredients. And so you really had beers that were all over the map in terms of, in terms of style and taste. Um, so I thought that was pretty cool to see how you can take one recipe and really derive so many different things from it. Um, 
So I thought that was pretty cool. Um, when I think of Wisconsin and Midwest beer, though, I think of Ambers. And, uh, you know, it, it's just something that seems uniquely Midwest. You know, really? if you if you look at the east, you know, if you look at the east coast, not a whole lot of ambers. You get the you get the browns and you get uh, you know pale ales, but not a whole lot of not a whole lot of amber beers. Same thing with the west coast. You, you have some association of the of the northwest with with kind of the northwest hoppy beers. Um, but really, the west coast itself, you know, you think more of Sierra Nevada. Um, and in the pale ales and, the, and IPAs, more so than the really caramelized ambers that we get here in the Midwest. And you know, you look at a brewery like Capital. You know, Capital has something like five ambers that they brew. Uh, Wine and Kugels, I think, has seven ambers. Amber is such a, it's, to me, amber is the biggest cop-out style. It's like, amber is a color. Amber is not a flavor. Amber is not a this. And that's why... all the same beer. You know, and, and, and you Sometimes. Say that, but, you know, when you think of amber, you think of a light, easy drinking... To me, when I think of amber, I think of point amber. You know, or I think of Wineys wine. Like, that's what I think of. And... Almost every single brewery in the Midwest makes an equivalent. Almost you're also every at, there's amber ales. You got your amber lagers. And yeah, yeah, they all end up being similar because I think everybody's just going for that easy. Nobody knows what to call just like a beer. Like I just want to make a beer. It's going to be about this color. It's be a little darker have, than a Pilsner yeah, pale ale. It's not going to be real sweet. It's it's just your your, your balanced beer. And nobody knows what to say but, except but for this. Like, so everybody in, can do one. In the Midwest, when people are saying, well, I'm just going to brew a beer, I'm going to brew something that's just a beer, they brew an amber. When, they, when, when, you're, you know, when you're on the West Coast and you say, well, I'm just going to brew a beer, you're brewing a pale ale. When you're on the East Coast and you're saying, I'm just going to brew a beer, you're brewing a brown or a, you know, something like that. And when you're in the South, they, they probably don't, don't brew anything. They don't brew anything. <laughs> they drink Jack Daniels. But, <laughs> uh, you know, so it, that to me seems uniquely Midwestern. I guess it's very broad. Um, and I think maybe that's why, because if you talk to uh, Dean at Ale Asylum, you know, he argues that Ambergeddon is a strictly West Coast amber. So maybe West Coast has defined the amber as a more specific category than the Midwest. So for the Midwest, it's just an amalgamation of like a malty ale. Yeah, you know, but even, the, but even the West Coast amber is specific to the Northwest. Right. It, you know, you, you don't see stone. I, I don't know that stone makes a single amber of any sort. Um, you know, yeah. <laughs> so uh, yeah, same thing. With, you know, I guess you have uh, uh, Dale's. You have Gordon. Uh, from from Colorado, but that's really you know the only non-northwest uh, west coast amber I can think of off the top of my head. Which one do you say is an amber? The the, the Gordon, Gordon from uh, uh, Oscar Blues. 
Yeah. That's interesting. I think you're thinking more. I think of like amber lagers. I mean, yeah, a lot of breweries. I mean, Capital, Sprecher, Great Dane. A lot of breweries make sort of very just simple multi amber lagers. Yeah. Too sure. But even outside of Wisconsin, Bells, Great Lakes, August Shell, Island, August Shell, they all Summit all make ambers. And they're all very good selling beers for those for those places. You know, Bell's Amber, you know, is is one of their better selling beers. Same thing with with Red, with Summit and August Shell and Point and you know, all, all of these breweries. Those are their best. You know, some of their best selling beers. I think a lot of the Amber sales point is your. You know, every person out there can walk up and say, you know, olive and amber, and it's, you know, like, just like the, the style itself, it, you know, it's not too hoppy, it's not too light, it's just, so somebody who's like, I want a beer, they can just say, I want an amber, and that's what they're going to get. It's and, not offensive. Yeah. Everyone so will like it, yeah, but it's, it's more beer, interesting yeah. than a macro beer, yeah. Or so a, it's one of those things, you know, light. somebody, an uninformed beer drinker can walk up and get an amber, and they're going to love it, and it's... It's an easy go-to, and that's why you know so many people have them. It's yeah. And, and, and I guess my only point in all of that is, but it's only true here in the Midwest. Yeah. It, you know, it's not true on the West Coast. It's not true in the South. It's not true on the East Coast. So, I, if I, the uh, non-beer geek can uh, interject, please. <laughs> I just, I don't know that it pays to try to define Wisconsin or even the Midwest by a particular style, process, or ingredients. I think the reason why it was Wisconsin on the Savoir Top 100 list doesn't have anything to do with that. There were a lot of individual products. The reason why Wisconsin was there is because it's becoming known for high quality craftsmanship. I think that's what really matters because Someone who's not in Wisconsin someday is going to buy a Wisconsin beer, and they'll probably like it. Maybe not the PBRs or something, but one of the craft beers. And when they come back to the beer store later and find another one, they're going to remember that the last one was good, and they're going to try this other one. And that opens it up for a lot of people to experiment with a lot of different things. There's not a, a tradition that's built around styles and ingredients, it's built around high-quality craftsmanship and experimenting. And that's what it is with the beers, I think. I think that's what it is with the cheese. Maybe someday it'll be that with the meat as well. Um, but I think that's the more important thing. Yeah, I think that's an excellent point. I like it. Anybody else have any sum, uh, summation points they want to make? Go. Um... Yeah, I, I think it's um, it's great that, that they're they're brewing this this beer with local ingredients. But I should point out, you know, the reason Wisconsin is the dairy state is because actually originally before dairy, we were the largest wheat grower in the nation. And what the farmers were finding was the wheat was actually depleting the soil. So in some ways, it's probably better that we let most of the grain be grown elsewhere. That's my, <laughs> my point. And, that, and that, that's when when dairy kind of became the uh, the main thing in the state of Wisconsin. Uh, there are no negative impacts to dairy. Well, well, it depends. depends again, it depends how it's done, and that's and that. And again, this goes back to what I was saying at the very beginning, where it's about as much about where it's grown as about how it's grown. Um, so, uh, I mean, and and that's true in the dairy world too. You know, I mean, I I would as a cheesemaker, I would not 
not uh, just take any old milk to make cheese with. You know, I'm very particular about where my milk is sourced. Um, and, and the same, of course, should be true of, of a good brewer. So, um, I guess that's it. <laughs> Johnny, any final points? No? Why haven't we opened this Jen? second beer? I don't know. <laughs> Jen and Ashley? Any final points that we've gotten out of this or any anything that we want to summarize? Uh, I'm all about the you know local sustainable, all that. And so I'm happy that obviously the beer beer industry is jumping in on that. And again, it's not always maybe gonna be getting you the best ingredients, but it's for a good cause and that's I guess just I don't know, a thought to, to keep in mind that I love the local, you know, local support, and so I think we, we need to find a good balance of everything to really kind of decide how and why and what and where. Well, I wanted to thank everybody for, for coming out. Um, this has been really informative. Um, I think there's been a lot of good discussion on what it is and what it means to produce products locally. Um, the one thing we didn't touch on, and because this is dragging out and maybe you guys want to talk about it, is uh, where organic falls in the, in, in the whole discussion. And maybe that's an entirely different discussion that we don't want to have. Um, because it, it seems that in, in, in some cases it's an either-or. The, the, the two can often be mutually exclusive. Um, I think in brewing right now it is because a lot of the organic comes down to equipment and uh, how the equipment is sanitized and how the processes are executed on the equipment. So a lot of breweries aren't willing to designate a certain time for organic brewing another certain time for non-organic brewing. I mean, look at New Blair's, the biggest brewery, one of the biggest breweries in the state, they had to pull the plug on organic. You know, organic's done, because they couldn't afford to keep doing it. You know, I mean, if anybody could, you'd think it would be them. Oh, yeah. So, you know, it's pretty much cost prohibitive at this point. And it is... I think it's a different discussion. <laughs> I think we can have a. Yeah, I think so. I think we, this half of the table can have a very long discussion about the problems with organic certification, but then we'll leave it there. Well, again, I think this is where where things like apples would be interesting because apples are much easier to grow organically than the grain is. So especially here. Yeah, especially, yeah, especially organic apples. apples. You probably want to turn them into cider anyway. Right. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. And you probably want to check your ground too because the amount of sulfur that's going in there may not be the greatest. So. Yeah. Yeah. Thank you, everybody. We have some beer here left to drink, so uh, let's do it. Cheers.